0: Our speaker is no, uh, <laughs> is no stranger to, uh, to Calvary Baptist Church. In fact, you'll remember he was here four years ago. He's hard to miss because he's rather tall. This guy is, uh, is one of those legends out of the, uh, the, the NBA era where Dr. Julius Irving, Daryl oh, Dawkins, one. Chocolate Thunder, yeah. Bobby McAdoo, mm. Ernie De- 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 Gregario, Oh, oh yeah. Well, you yeah. know, those were the heyday. That was the heyday of the NBA. Yeah. That was that was my day when I was trying to make it.
1: You're dating yourself yeah. now.
0: you know. And uh, for some reason, I wasn't able to to make the uh, the cut. You and Steve Nash. Yeah, oh, yeah that's right. Okay. And uh, and uh, Bay here played for the Phoenix Suns. That. Uh, we know the Steve Nash guy, you know. We, Could you not kind of
1: mention the Steve, the Phoenix Suns right now? That's kind of a hard one. But anyway. you know,
0: we're all happy the Heat didn't win this year. That was <laughs> Thank sort you. Of yeah. That's okay. You know, that, right. it was yeah. just anybody but the Heat. Anybody That's, but all. that's, heat. that's how that's we right. were. Listen, <laughs> listen I'm going to turn the whole thing over to you in a few moments, but I, I wanted to give you a gift, sort uh, of a... Uh, a is it that car? Well, <laughs> did you enjoy that? Hmm, my wife would. There are some interesting things out in the parking lot, you know. Maybe you can take your pick, Uh but listen, I got something for you. I was trying to think of what what could be the quintessential Oshawa artifact. All right, so uh, this is what I've come up with. Uh oh!
1: (laughs) You're getting me in trouble now. Hey, baby.
0: There it is. And can I wear the it or Osho not? <laughs> <laughs> You're killing me, man. Man, You're there killing you go. Me. <laughs> I had to find a shirt that would be a night shirt for me. It might fit you. I don't know. I'm hoping so. Bay, it's all yours, buddy. Can I wear it or not? You can wear no? that with,
1: Yeah.
0: At least it's Bobby Orr, so no, that's it's okay. looking good, man. <laughs>
1: no. Well, good morning, everybody. How are you? Has this been a great morning or what? Oh, man. I I want you to know I am so pleased to see a church that is willing to say, you know what, we don't have to do things like everybody else does things all the time. We just want to be able to celebrate, and especially on a Father's Day, a time like this, isn't it great that the church is saying, you know what, we can kind of let our hair down a little bit, we can relax a little, we can have some fun. I can't wait to get out and see the cars. I love old cars. I was telling the group earlier that I've had a 71 Ford Bronco supercharged and a 65 Ranchero mounted on a 66 Bronco frame. I love that kind of stuff and muscle cars and all that. So if some of your cars are missing and I can get it onto a United Airlines flight to get home, You'll know where it went at that point. I don't know if it'll go in luggage or not. I'm also a little offended, though, that we have Greg up here singing in red tennis shoes. What's up with that? Kelvin tells me i got to at least dress appropriately. What is that? You guys are all in shorts and stuff. Why am I not in shorts up here? But I apologize if I'm a little overdressed for today. But finding a pair of size 16 red tennis shoes is not easy. So, you know, I'll stick in what I've got here instead and make the best of it. I'm going to put my Bible down over here and just let you know this morning, I just want you to hear my story. I hope that's okay. Jesus was the greatest storyteller of all time. And... He knew how to tell a great story. I want to just be like Jesus. And I'm going to just tell you my story this morning tied to the Word of God. Hopefully it'll relate to you or it'll make sense to you because I'm concerned that today the world is lying to us. Now, the world's lying to all of us, but it's really lying to our kids, Because it's telling our kids, if you can score enough points or enough goals or whatever, and you can get enough rebounds or you can be tough enough in whatever sport you're playing, you can get the grades or whatever like that, then you're a winner. But if you don't, you're a loser. And see, if we listen to that, it can get us in a bunch of trouble because we can go on this emotional roller coaster of listening to the world tell us whether we're valuable, whether we're worthwhile, whether we're doing it the way that they think is right. And that's a lie because there's a better way than that. But I know what that was like because I went through that when I was in high school. When I was in high school, I was one of those typical guys that was really into the sports things and all of that, especially basketball, And by the time I was a junior in high school, I was six foot eight. Senior, I was six foot nine. And I was a high school All-American. I was president of my class. I was getting straight A's. I had the best looking girl in the entire school hanging on my arm. I've now been married to her 37 years just this past June 1st. I had all of that going for me. Not only that, but I had 130 scholarship offers to every major university in the country. You name the school and I could go there. I'm serious, any of the major universities, Duke, North Carolina, Maryland, UCLA, Illinois, Florida State, any of them, I could go there and they were offering a scholarship for me to come play for them. Now don't think that I'm sitting here bragging about myself. I'm a 57-year-old has-been, okay? I have 13 grandchildren, all right? You got a picture of me with my kids up there. I've got four kids and 13 grandchildren, so I'm an old man, but you know, it'd be silly for me to tell you that I wasn't good. Well, of course I was good. God made me good. He made me a good basketball player. If he's made you good at something, don't be embarrassed by that, but don't take credit for it. God did it. You didn't do it. It's not you. It's God that did whatever. If you got a cool car, God blessed you with that car. You didn't do that yourself. You couldn't have anything if God didn't bless you with it, so let's give him credit for it. Well, I was good back during that time. And everybody wanted me to come play basketball for them. Man, the world said, Bae, you are a winner. I was written up in Sports Illustrated as one of the best players coming out of high school, going into college the next year, and everybody said, wow, Bay, you really are good. And they thought I was a winner until I decided to go to a small Christian college instead, Grand Canyon College, 600 students in this Baptist school in Phoenix, Arizona that my dad had gone to and I felt like God wanted me to go there. When I decided to go to Grand Canyon College and get a Christian education, I went from winner to loser and everybody said, what a loser, nobody would do that. Turned down going to one of those major universities to go to Grand Canyon College instead and they thought I was such a loser until while I was at Grand Canyon, we went to nationals every year. I was a three-time college All-American. We won the national championship my junior year, and I was voted most valuable player of the tournament. My junior year after we won the national championship, the Kansas City Kings, who are now the Sacramento Kings, offered me a contract that today would be worth about 5 to $8 million to play basketball for them. And everybody went, oh, man, you're a winner. Whoa, way to go. And they thought I was such a winner until... I turned it down because I felt like God was saying, hey, you committed to four years at Grand Canyon. You are going to play that fourth year? Is your word going to be worth anything or not? And so I went back and I played my senior year at Grand Canyon. Everybody said, loser, nobody turns down a contract in the NBA to go back and play college ball. But I went back and I played my senior year. We had another good year. I was an All-American again. And then I was drafted by the Seattle Supersonics, number 19 in the draft. Now, you have to understand, are there any basketball players here at all? Are you all hockey fans? I mean, any basketball fans? Good. We got a few, okay. You got to appreciate this. If you can go back a ways, when I was drafted by the Seattle Supersonics, they had a coach. His name was Bill Russell. Bill Russell was one of the greatest shot blockers in the history of basketball. He had more championship rings than he had fingers, and Bill calls me on the phone. Back then, that was old school. We didn't get to go on TV and wear the hat and do all of that. They just called you, and he calls me. and says, yo, Bay, picked you up. I like the way you play. You block shots the way I block shots, and I got you on the team. And I'm telling my brothers, it's Bill Russell. I'm talking to Bill Russell. I was so excited. I made it. I'm in the NBA, and I'm going to be playing for the Seattle Supersonics. And the world said, Bay, you are such a winner. You've made it. They offered me a contract, guaranteed contract. Today, be about about $10 million to play ball for them. And everybody went, wow, Bay, what a winner. And they thought I was such a winner until I felt like God said, no, don't want you to play for Seattle. I'd like you to play one year with Athletes in Action, a branch of Campus Crusade for Christ International, a Christian team, amateur team. But it's okay, because they paid me $10,000 a year. It was a really good deal. When I chose to play for athletes in action and turn down, first player in the history of the NBA to turn down a guaranteed contract in the NBA to play for an amateur team, I didn't go from winner to loser. I went from winner to the big L, tattooed right here. Loser! Who would do that? Nobody turns down that kind of money. Nobody turns down that opportunity, and they thought I was such a loser until I went with Athletes in Action, we became the number one amateur team in the world. We were huge. My backup centers were 7'2", 6'11", I was 6'10", then 6'9", 6'8", 6'6". We were bigger than any of the NBA teams. And we were beating everybody. We beat the number one team in the nation, University of San Francisco, when they had Bill Cartwright, who played for the Bulls for them. We beat them by 19 points on TV. The next week, we beat UNLV, University of Nevada, Las Vegas. They were number three in the nation when they had Reggie Theus, and we beat them by 29 points on TV. And people said, who are these guys? And I'm leading the team in scoring and rebounding, and everything's going good. And people went, boy, Bay, you're a winner. You're right there again. And even after playing a year with Athletes in Action, and then the Phoenix Suns bought my rights from the Seattle Supersonics and signed me to a guaranteed contract, five years, that today would be about a $10 to $15 million contract. Even when that happened, I didn't always feel like a winner. (laughs) Like the first time we were playing against the Philadelphia 76ers. Now, some of you that were here last time I was here four years ago, I shared this story over in the gymnasium. You'll just have to put up with the fact that you've gotten the inside scoop on this. The rest of you really haven't heard it. But I want to tell you, that was exciting for me. Think about what that would be like. It would be like me today. Playing in the NBA and getting excited that I'm going to be on the same floor with a Dirk Nowitzki or a LeBron James or a Kobe Bryant or somebody that's a great player in the NBA and you're excited, you get to play against them. Well, when I was playing, there was a guy that everybody was excited about playing against if you were a rookie. And the first time we went to Philadelphia to play against the Philadelphia 76ers, there was a guy named Dr. J, Julius Irving, that was playing for them. I was excited to play against him. This guy is amazing. He's got a hand that it looks like he's got an extra joint on every finger. When he grabbed the ball, he just sort of wrapped his hand around the ball, and he wandered in the air until he deposited it, usually over the top of your head. And this guy was good. I mean, he was the first guy to jump from the free throw line and dunk a basketball. He was amazing what he could do, and I had watched this guy, and now I'm going to be on the same floor with him. I was so excited. (laughs) On the same floor with him, my stupid coach has me guarding him. I am 6'10", slow, and white. And I'm getting ready to go against a brother that can jump out of the gym, and I'm thinking, why would you do this to me? This is crazy. So I determined one thing wouldn't happen. I wasn't going to be poster boy. Now, you know what I'm talking about, poster boy, don't you? You know That's the guy in this big poster that some guy's dunking nasty on somebody, and the guy underneath is going, Ew, like this, getting dunked on. I didn't want to be the guy getting dunked on. So I had determined he could score as many points as he wanted in the game, but he would not dunk on me. I would hurt the man before he dunked on me. There was no way I was going to let him dunk on me. So I get in the game, and you can see it. It's on his face. He sees I'm going to be guarding him, and he gets this gleam in his eye like, I got the rookie, all right, and he's coming right at me. And he came down the floor, and I position myself to play some D, man. I'm ready to go. Basket's right behind me. He comes down the floor, and he picks that ball up with one hand on the dribble, and then he jumps from somewhere out in another county. I'd never seen anybody jump like this before, (laughs) but he jumped from way out there. And when he did, I just went, you are a big dummy because when you jump, You've got to do something with the ball before you come down. And I'd, I, I didn't know what he was doing, but you don't jump from out there because you've got to do something with it. And then he started elevating and coming at me. And after a little bit, I realized... He's trying to dunk on me from way out there. I didn't, I'd never seen anybody jump from out there. And I was, I could jump, I had a 35 inch vertical. I could almost hit my head on the rim, but I couldn't jump like that. I'd never seen anybody do that before. And he's coming at me, he's elevating, coming at me, elevating, coming at me. But it's okay because the basket's right behind me. And as he comes in, I'm going, you bring it bud, because you're gonna hit me, I'm flopping. I'm going down, you're gonna get an offensive foul called on you, and I'm gonna be known as the greatest defensive rookie in the the game of basketball. I'm gonna silence the entire Philadelphia Coliseum. My coach is going to give me the coveted attaboy and I'm going to be high-fiving all of my teammates. I got this all figured out as he comes right here. And then he got right here and I was so excited until I realized he had something else he could do. The man could walk on air. I'd never seen this happen before. I did not know you could do this. Nobody told me you could walk on air. He was here. Now He's over here, how do you do that? How can you be coming this way and now you're coming over here? And I'm going, oh no. And I'm trying to lean over in front of him and sure enough, he hit me in the shoulder and I just went, oh, he hit me really bad. I ain't call anything, sorry ref. I couldn't believe you wouldn't call that. And he dumped nasty on me. I mean, he threw it down. It was bad. But at this point, I'm looking for cameras. I want to see if there's any cameras going off because I want to make sure that I'm not going to have a picture of me. Well, we had a good team. We won the game. We we, we were okay. We were decent. We were decent. But the next morning, I'm getting up to check the papers. I want to see if there's going to be me in the paper. Please don't let there be anything in the Philadelphia paper. Nothing. Yes. Get home to Phoenix. Surely the traders wouldn't put me in the Phoenix paper getting dunked on by Dr. J. Nothing in the Phoenix papers. Sports Illustrated comes out that month. Oh, please, Lord, do not let it be in Sports Illustrated. Nothing in Sports Illustrated. And I think, yes, I've made it. I make it through the whole year. There's not a picture of me anywhere getting dunked on by Dr. J. And I think, I did it. I'm free. Yeah, right. Ten years later. I'm working in Kenya, East Africa, at a missionary kids boarding school where I first met Kelvin, and he was in our dorm there, punk that he was, and (laughs) with... Us being over there, everybody knows that I am the NBA player and all of that. There's a guy there at the school, Ethiopian. His name is Zeb Mengistu. He's a really cool guy. He's been on the basketball team. I've coached him some. Good friends with Kelvin. And Zeb has come to the States with his family, to L.A. When you come to the States, you want to go back to Africa with all the cool things you can come up with. He comes back, he's got one thing in particular, it's a prized possession, it's an encyclopedia about this thick. And he brings this encyclopedia and he can't wait to find me. He opens it up to the sports section, there's every sport imaginable in there, I mean it's got curling, lacrosse, lawn bowling, all of that, but it's also got football, basketball, hockey, baseball, all of that. And he turns to the page that has basketball. There's one article this big on 100 years of the game of basketball. And then there's one stinking picture on 100 years of the game of basketball, and it's a picture of Dr. J dunking nasty on somebody. That wouldn't be so bad, but the guy that he's dunking on has turned his back to the camera, and there it is for the entire world to see me getting dunked on. What are the chances? What are the chances in all of basketball? And I got my name back there. I couldn't say, that's not me, that's some other guy. It's got Forrest on the back of my jersey there. He doesn't look nice either, does he? I mean, he's being mean when he's doing that to me. He was actually a great guy, very, a, a real gentleman. But boy, when he dunked, you he didn't, didn't feel like he was a gentleman. Listen, I want to ask something. Please, you can take that down. I don't want to look at that anymore. I've seen enough of that there. I want to ask you, because I got dunked on by Dr. J., Am I a loser because of that? Well, the world might say, oh man, what a loser, you got. you're a poster boy or anything. Listen, is that what we're going to worry about as to whether we're a winner or a loser? I believe that if we look at winners and losers, a winner is somebody who knows not only who they are, they know whose they are. I like to ask it this way, who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? See, and this is a great day for that. On Father's Day, on Daddy's Day, my girls still call me daddy, And on Father's Day, that's what we ought to be asking. Who's your daddy? Do you have relationship with the God of the universe who loved you enough to send his son to die on a cross for you? And it amazes me how many people think they're going to be okay even without having that relationship with the Father. And you know why it concerns me? Because here's what I think is a real loser. A loser isn't somebody that loses the game whenever you lose to the Bruins or whatever else like that. That's not what makes somebody a winner or a loser. A loser is described very well by the greatest winner of all time. The greatest winner of all time, Jesus Christ, who died on a cross for us, lived a perfect life, did nothing wrong in his entire time here on earth, the Son of God, he said it this way one time. He asked a question. It's a good question. See if this doesn't hit home. He asked this question. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world yet loses his own soul? Whoa. That's a good question, isn't it? Think about it. What good is it if you get everything there is to get out of this world, yet you lose your own soul? Let's put it this way. What if somebody gave you every beautiful car out there today? You could sell them. You could do whatever you want. That's worth millions and millions and millions of dollars. You could have all of that stuff that's out there. And you had all of that, and you had all the fame and the fortune. You were the greatest race car driver in the world. And you had the beautiful husband or wife and all of that going, what good is that? If you spend 70, 80, maybe 90, 100 years, whatever, how long you live, yet you spend eternity separated from God in a place he doesn't want you to be. That's a disastrous choice. That's a loser. That's You lost bad if you let that happen. And you know why I know it's such a big concern? Because Jesus is the one that spoke about it. Jesus is the one that warned us. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, listen to what Jesus says. In Matthew 7, 21 through 23, he makes it real clear. Now check it out. If you had a red letter edition in the Bible, for those of you that might have a Bible that has red letter, what does it mean if it's red letter edition? That's Jesus talking. And I, I kind of think, like, if Jesus would be talking, I'd be listening, you know? I mean, and when, when Jesus says it, it's special. I'm, this, all Scripture is inspired of God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. But when Jesus said it, it's like Jesus, with his own lips, spoke this on earth. And when he said this, he was saying it to his followers. Okay, before those of you that are here in the church going, yeah, boy, I hope some people hear this, I'm talking to those of you that would call yourselves followers of Jesus. That's who he's talking to. The people that like him, they think he's cool. They're loving what they're, he's fed 5,000 men plus women and children with five loaves of bread and two fish. They're going, man, you feed us good. Good fish and chips, God. We love it. We like what you're doing. They're with him. That's who he's speaking to when he says these words. Listen to these words. Powerful. And they finish with the scariest words that will ever be spoken in all of time. And Jesus is going to say them. The scariest words. Listen to what he says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Did you hear that? He just said, not not everybody who calls themselves a Christian gets to heaven. Whoa, that ought to make us think. That ought to make us go, what? Just because I call myself a Christian, it doesn't mean I get to get to heaven? And he goes on. After he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, he says, but only he who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. Now we know the only ones who get to heaven... This should be important. The only ones who get to heaven are the ones who do the will of the Father. I want to know what the will of the Father is. If they're the only ones that get to heaven, I want to make sure I'm doing the will of the Father. We'll come back to that in a minute, but let's finish what he says. After he says only those who do the will of the Father, he goes on and he says, many will say to me on that day. What day are we talking about? Judgment Day. I've never heard any theologian anywhere, anytime ever question anything but that Jesus was talking about on Judgment Day. The Bible says it's appointed to every man once to die and then to be judged. We are going to stand before God in one way or another and answer for why he should allow us to spend eternity with him. And he says, many will say to me on Judgment Day... Lord, Lord, there they go again. They're standing before God and they're going, hey, Lord, here I am. And they're excited. They're before God. He says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? That means to speak truth. That doesn't mean I predict in the year 2010 it's going to, uh, you know, or 2012 it's going to do this or that. I whatever. It's not predicting something. It is to speak truth. He says, people are going to speak truth. They're going to say, I spoke truth. I told other people about your word. And he says, they're going to say, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name, cast out demons. There's a heavy duty one. I've only been a part of it twice. It's not pretty, but it's real. And we have an enemy, and he hates us. 1 Peter 5, 8. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And he says, people are going to say, I saw demons cast out of people. And they're going to finish, he says, and, or they'll say, or perform many miracles. People are say, I saw miracles performed. I saw people healed. I saw people come to Christ. Isn't that the greatest miracle of all is when somebody becomes a Christian? And people are going to go, how could I? I must be saved. And then listen to what Jesus says. Scariest words that will ever be said. He says, then I will say to them. To who? The followers. The people that like him. The people that think he's okay. He says, then I will say to them, scariest words that will ever be said. He says, I'm going to say, get away from me, you evildoer. I never knew you. Do you understand how devastating that will be? I'm not trying, I'm not preaching some, nasty message to try to scare somebody. I'm saying, that's what Jesus said. Jesus says, I love you, and I don't want this done to anybody. I don't want to say this to anybody, but some of you are going to have this said to you if you don't get right with me, if you're not doing the will of the Father. So we'd better make sure that we know the will of the Father because there's going to be some people cast away from him forever, and when that happens, you can't go, okay, I'm sorry, God, time out. This time I'll be serious. It's too late. You don't get second chances when God sends you away from him at judgment day. So we better have it right. So what is the will of the Father? How do we know what the will of the Father is? I think the will of the Father comes, first of all, from the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 and 5. I think that's a good place for it. The Jewish people call it the Shema. That's when they say something that goes like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. That word strength in the Hebrew means to love God with your all- in all, with everything you've got to love God. You just love him. That's what the Old Testament commands us to do, love God with everything you've got. But you might say, yeah, but babe, that's Old Testament, you know, come on, what about the New Testament? Jesus didn't come to do away with the law, but to fulfill it, what did Jesus say? Good question, let's go there. Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40, somebody comes to Jesus and they ask him, teacher, what's the greatest commandment of all? Greatest commandment of all, that ought to be the will of the Father, shouldn't it? If it's God's greatest commandment, if it's the one thing that he says, man, this is my greatest commandment to you, then this ought to be the will of the Father, and I believe it is. When Jesus is asked that, he doesn't go, whew, man, greatest commandment of all, that's a good one. Just a second, let me think. Okay, it's on the tip of my tongue. He doesn't do that. He immediately, what does he do? He quotes the Shema. He says the greatest commandment of all, that's easy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul. In one of the Gospels, he adds mind and strength. And then he goes on, he says, oh, and by the way, the second is like unto the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what we're supposed to do is love God with everything we've got and then love our neighbor as ourselves. Good for you, church, that you guys are loving your neighbors and saying, come on. Man, come join us. This church is open to anybody that wants to come be a part of what's going on here. And we're willing to reach out to you any way we can. Because we're no better than the people outside this church except for Jesus. He's the only one that makes any difference. And Jesus says the only chance we have is by loving God with everything we've got inside of us. And last time I was here... You probably heard me tell, and I won't go into that one, but you probably heard me tell about my brother. Because, see, a lot of people say, well, bae, I love God, you know? And don't you hear it all the time where people say, bae, it's okay, I love God. (laughs) With all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength? Because, see, I think we don't understand what it's really talking about when it tells us to love him with everything that we've got and put all of our trust in him. And it tells us, Jesus, first of all, in John 14, 6, says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Nobody comes to the Father except by me, what I did, and you put in your trust in me. And people would say, I do, babe, I believe in God. Do you know what James 2:19 says? It says, you say you believe in one God, good for you. In the King James, I like it, it says, you do well. <laughs> oh, you do well. Yeah. Good for you. You say you believe in one God, good for you. So do the demons, so much that they tremble at the very mention of God's name. Did you hear that? Just because you believe in God doesn't mean you're saved. The devil believes in God. He knows he's really been fighting him for years. But we won't be seeing him in heaven. And the same will be true for so many that say, oh, I believe in God. Believing in God goes beyond that one step. To Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Romans 10.9, I believe, is our answer, and it says in Romans 10.9, if we confess with our mouths, Jesus is Lord, there we go, saying, yeah, Jesus is Lord. And then it goes on though, and listen to what it says. And if we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And people say, oh, I do. I believe in my heart. Do you? Because see the word for believe there is the Greek word pistuo. That Greek word pistuo means to put full confidence and full trust in something or someone else. I don't know if Phil's around. I'd love it if he was around here because I'd love to tell him what I'm about to do. I'm not really going to. But if I was to look at that car and say, this this is an example of Pistuo, putting full confidence and trust in something or someone else. If I said, you know what? I believe that stupid car over here, or is that a smart car? I don't know. But I believe that smart car over here, I believe it'll hold me if I run and jump and land on top of the roof. It'll hold me. I believe that. That is not Pistuo. Pistuo is when I run over and jump on top of that car and go, Yep, it held. That's when I put my life in the hands of that car. That's to put my life in the hands of somebody else or something else. Now, let me take that one step further, though. I want to close with this. My wife, by the way, ladies, those of you that have met my wife, she said, don't you dare go up there without telling them hi from me. So this is a greeting from my wife, uh, just to say she would have loved to have been here, maybe next time she will, but my wife gives me the best Christmas gifts ever. And a few years ago, she gave me a good one. It was a gift certificate to go skydiving. It was in my my stocking. My son got one, too. If my son hadn't gotten one, too, I might have wondered if she was trying to get rid of me. But since my son got one, too, I knew I was okay with that. And we both had them. My son was in college. He's now a captain in the military, and he's just a big old stud of a man. And back then when he was in college, both of us wanted to skydive. We had gift certificates that said paid in full for one free skydiving jump. I'd always wanted to jump out of a plane. I wanted to jump out and free fall. You know, where you jump and you just go, "Whoa!" go through the air like that. I want to do that, you know, and just plummet through the air. I thought that'd be so cool to do it. And she gave us a gift certificate paid for. Adam and I are so excited, we're high-fiving each other. And we're going, yeah, we're skydivers. And we were so excited. Now I've got to ask you something. We had a gift certificate paid in full to go skydiving. Were we skydivers? No, we had a gift certificate paid in full, but we weren't skydivers, were we? We just had, had something been given to us. It had been given to us. It was mine. It was free. I would accepted it. But that didn't make me a skydiver, did it? But how about if not only did I have a gift certificate to go skydiving, how about if I join the Skydivers Club and I start paying dues, I start giving money to the Skydivers Club, then <laughs> I'm a skydiver if I do that, aren't I? <laughs> No, I just joined a club and I started giving money to it. But how about if not only did I have a gift certificate to go skydiving, joined the Skydivers Club and paid the dues, how about if I bought the Skydivers Manual and I memorized the bad boy? Everything in it. I could tell you verse and line of everything, chapter, everything in that Skydivers Manual. Then I'm a skydiver, aren't I? No, I just memorized the book. But how about if not only did I have a gift certificate to go skydiving, joined the skydivers club, paid the dues, and memorized the skydivers man- manual, how about if I went on skydivers trips with other people? When they went on skydivers trips, I went with them. Man, I go up in the plane, they're jumping, I'm throwing. Yeah, looking good. I'm throwing them out the plane. Then if I'm helping other people to skydive, then I'm a skydiver, aren't I? <laughs> No, I just threw somebody out of a plane. But how about if not only did I have a gift certificate to go skydiving, joined the skydivers club, paid the dues, read the skydivers manual, and went on skydivers trips, how about if I absolutely 100% believed in parachutes? I knew they worked. I'd watched. I'd seen it happen. And I believed in parachutes. If I believe in parachutes, then I'm a skydiver, aren't I? No, I just believe in nylon. What does it take to be a skydiver? What do you have to do? you got to jump, don't you? (laughs) My son and I found out a few months after we got these things. We went down to Marana, Arizona, where my son was going to school at Grand Canyon, where we did. And we went down and we showed up with these things on a beautiful day. And we said, hey, we want to go skydiving. We got gift certificates. The guy looked at it and he said, man, this is a great day. There's not many people here. And yeah, you're paid in full. Let's do it. And he said, would you like to free fall? Where you get to plummet through the air? Or do you want that ripcord to pull out immediately? He said, no, we want a free fall. We want to fall. He said, well, if you want that, we won't let you go by yourself. Because halfway down, if you forget to pull the ripcord, it really hurts when you hit the ground. So they, they don't want to let you do that. So they want you to go with the master skydiver. It's called a tandem jump. You go with somebody else. They put this giant harness all through your legs and on your back and all, and then you have two big giant buckles on the back of you. And then the master skydiver gets a big harness on him, and he has two big buckles on the front of him. He hooks his buckles to your buckles, and then he puts a parachute on his back. You don't even get a parachute! that's weird how bad did I want to stay connected to the master skydiver I'm asking him you sure these buckles are going to hold because I won't come loose from you because I don't care halfway down how big your hands are this isn't going to get it you're not going to work like that so I'm telling him listen you've got to is this going to work he said no problem it'll work I've done this tons of times so we get ready to go <laughs> I sent my son up first you go <laughs> I'll take pictures you know I sent him, he goes up in the plane, he jumps, there's this little dot, he comes down, as he's getting closer, I'm taking pictures, once I can start yelling at him, I'm going, Adam, that's awesome, he's going, oh now, dad, you're awesome, no, you are, not we're yelling at each other, and we're having a great time. Adam comes down, he has his landing, then it's my turn. I go over to get in this plane, it's a little bitty baby plane, this thing's tiny, it's a four-seater, they've taken three of the seats out. I don't know if Andy's around here, but Andy, shame on you if you were flying a plane this small. This is terrible. This thing is a tiny little plane, and the only guy who gets a seat is the pilot, and then they take the other three seats out, and they got a guy that's going to open the door, and then I'm down on my knees with the master skydiver hooked to my back in the back. And he's giving me instruction as we're climbing to 10,000-foot elevation. As we're going up, he says, now, Bay, when we get to 10,000-foot, the guy's going to open the door of the plane, and we're going to move up, the guy's going to move to the back. Sure enough, we get to 10,000-foot, the guy opens the door, and he starts crawling to the back, and I start moving. He taps me on the shoulder, and we start moving up. Now, listen, I fly all over the world, all the time, way more miles than I'd like to. But I've got to tell you something. In all the flying I've done, never, ever ever do they open the door of the plane when you're up in the air. (laughs) They don't do that. So it's not cool when all of a sudden the door's open and I went, I got up here and I just went, ah, and I looked and it's straight down. There's little tiny dots down there that are buildings and I'm getting ready to jump out of this plane. And now the guy says, now, bay, when I tap you on the shoulder, I want you to put your right foot out onto the wheel of the airplane. Now I've got my foot on the wheel outside. The rest of my body's inside. My pant leg is just blowing in the wind like that and I am hating my wife a lot at this point. This is terrible. <laughs> I'm thinking, how could you do this to me? And I don't wanna jump, I'm not wanting to do it, but I know if I don't, I'm gonna be the ultimate wuss, and my, my son is gonna say, you are the biggest baby in the world, so I have to jump, and the guy says, okay, Bane, now, when I tap you on the shoulder again, I just want you to roll out of the airplane. Roll out of the air, it's a perfectly good airplane. I don't wanna roll out of it now. I like this airplane a lot and I have to, and he says, okay, bae, and he taps me on the shoulder, and there I am, and all of a sudden, I had to decide if I was gonna be a skydiver. And I did one of these, oh, Lord, help me things, and I rolled out, and it was nuts. I came out, and just, and the wind's hitting you, in the face is blowing at you, and the guy yells in my ear, is this great or what? I wasn't sure yet, and I yelled, what? Because I, I didn't know if I liked it or not. But then, as we started adjusting to gravity, before long, I feel like I'm flying. And pretty soon I'm going, this is awesome. Pretty soon I'm doing Superman, you know, and I'm flying, you know, and I'm loving it, I'm spinning and I'm doing stuff. And the guy's laughing and saying, yeah, you liking it, aren't you? I said, this is awesome, and I'm loving it. And about halfway down, he says, okay, bae, we're about to hit the ripcord. Get ready. And I said, well, I'm ready. Let that parachute come open. And he hit the ripcord and called And it came open, I'm thanking the Lord that we have nylon that works. And at this point... We're still going down. I notice we're going pretty fast still. And then the guy says something to me. As we get close to landing, he says, now, Bay, there's something I haven't told you yet. You do not want to hear that in the air. They're supposed to tell you before you jump something I haven't told you yet. I said, what's that? And he said, well, you're the biggest guy I've ever taken. I really didn't want to hear that. (laughs) Biggest guy, what does that mean? He said, well, Your legs are longer than mine. So when we land, my feet need to hit first. So to make sure this is safe, you need to lift your legs way up high in the air. Because if you don't, when we hit the ground, you will break them. I was like, are you kidding me? I'll kill you, what? I'll break my legs? And I'm doing this, is this high enough? My legs are so high, they're way up. He's laughing at me. I'm not kidding. This is the truth. Is exactly Everything I'm telling you is exactly what happened. I had my legs so high when we hit the ground, I had skid marks on my rear from the grass. I mean, I never touched my feet at all, you know. And we had a landing, and I'm a skydiver. That's when I was a skydiver, when I jumped out of the plane and put my life in the hands of that master skydiver. Why in the world, people, did I tell you that kind of a crazy story? Oh, please don't miss the point of this. It is exactly what it's talking about in us putting our faith and trust in Jesus, putting full confidence, full trust in something or someone, and in this case it is someone else. There is only one who can save us. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except by me. Some of you here today may be thinking, I'm not so bad. I'm better and so-and-so. Man, I'm not doing that bad of things. Billy Graham goes straight to hell without Jesus. Mother Teresa goes straight to hell without Jesus. It doesn't matter. We have to have Jesus because he died on a cross for us. And he paid the price, and he is our only chance, and we have to put our faith and trust in him. And it doesn't just mean saying, yeah, I don't want to go to hell. I'd like to to get to heaven. That sounds cool. I'm going to do my own thing. No, it means literally surrendering your life to someone else. And you might think that you've done that, but see, just like me with skydiving, We've been offered the free gift of eternal life. It's been given to, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever. It's on that keychain, isn't it, Kelvin, that we just gave out to everybody? That whosoever believes on him. You're not going to perish, but you'll have eternal life. If you'll put your faith, if you'll believe in him, whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We've got to put our trust in him, full confidence, full trust in him. Have you done that? Have you surrendered to him? And you might say, ah, oh, Bay, I'm going to church, I'm cool. Yeah, me joining the Skydivers Club didn't make me a skydiver either. Yeah, but I give some money at times, Bay. I can give dues to the Skydivers Club, and that didn't work. Yeah, but I'm reading the Bible. I've memorized a lot of it. I can memorize the Skydivers Manual. It doesn't make me a skydiver. Yeah, but I've gone on mission trips. I've told other people about Jesus and all. I think you can see. That doesn't get it. There's only one thing that saves us, putting our full confidence and our full trust in something or someone else, and this is in someone else, in Jesus. Have you done that? That's the key. I want to challenge you this morning. Listen, you know what would be the worst thing in the world I could do right now? Is say, once you guys think about that, and if you ever feel like that's something you want to do, man, you need to consider that. That'd be terrible. Because this morning, I think God's speaking to some of you even right now, saying, that's for you. You need, what Bae's talking about, you need to deal with that. You've never put all your confidence and trust. You've never said, Jesus, I give you my life. I put my life in in your hands. I put all of my trust in you. You're my only hope. You're my only chance. I give myself to you. If you haven't done that, you know what? You may think this was a car show is the reason you came today. Oh, no, there was way more to it than that. God was drawing you here. He loves you so much he'd do anything to draw you to him, and he's given you a chance to hear the truth of how much he loves you and the plan he has for your life. Now listen, I'm not trying to talk anybody into anything. And if God's not speaking to you today, I'm sorry, it's not your day. Because the Bible says unless the spirit of God draws somebody, you can't get saved. But if God's tugging on your heart right now and he's saying, that's for you, you need to do that. You've never surrendered your life to me. You've never put your trust in me. You may be in this church, a member of this church, of the 20-some thousand people that we've seen come to Christ since we've come back from Africa, I'd say 15,000 of them were people in the church in the church saying I realize now I've never done that. I was in Tennessee a year ago speaking in a Southern Baptist church down there. Man had 10 kids. Elder in the church his brother was the pastor of the church. He'd preached in the church many times. I gave an invitation one night. He was running to the front. And he called his 10 kids up after his beautiful family. Called him up with his wife and he said I'm sorry you've heard me talk about Jesus, you've heard me preach about Jesus, and I've told you all about Jesus, but I realize now I didn't know him. I didn't have relationship with him. I've known who he was, but I'd never given my life to him. And oh, it was amazing. I went out to lunch with him the next day. And he said, babe, I can't tell you what this means to me. This has changed my life. I've known something was wrong, and now I realize I'd never surrendered my life to him. And it's a beautiful thing when you do that. This morning, if God's spoken to you, and it's on your heart, I want to give you a chance to deal with it. I'm not going to try to talk you into something, and I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not going to ask you to walk an aisle, come forward, and embarrass you or anything else, but I want to give you a chance. If God's speaking to you today, it would be a shame, whether you're a member of this church, attending this church, or this is the first time you've ever been here at this church, if God's speaking to you this morning, I want to give you a chance to surrender your life to Jesus and put your faith and trust in him. And all I want to ask this morning is if you just bow your heads with me right now. Listen, I will not try to talk you into something, but if you'll bow your heads. If you're not interested in this, would you please just stay quiet while others are listening to God? If you're a believer this morning, and right now you know God's saying, you know you're mine, (laughs) you know you love me and you've given your life to me, you've put your faith and your trust in me, if God's speaking to you about that, would you just be praying right now? Thank him for that and then pray for those that don't know. But if this morning you would say, you know what? Babe, I'm not sure. I don't don't know. I don't want to miss out on this, but I sure don't want Jesus someday saying, get away from me. I never knew you. Or maybe this morning you would say, Babe, I've never put my trust in him. I've heard about Jesus, but I've never surrendered my life to him. I've never given him full confidence and trust and control of my life. And if this morning God's speaking to you, I want to give you a chance to make sure on that. If God's tugging on your heart, if he's not, this isn't your time. But if right now you'd go, boy, I just feel like God maybe is tugging on my heart saying, this is for you, this is for you. And if that's true, right now I want to give you a chance to pray a prayer. Now listen, I'm going to pray a prayer out loud. And I'm going to pray this prayer out loud. And with you having your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I just want you to listen to God right now. Is God speaking to you? And is he saying, you need to do this? If so, I'm going to pray a prayer leading you in how you can surrender your life to Christ. Listen, there are no magic words. That's not a, if you'll say these words, then you're going to be fine. No, it's what happens in your heart that matters. It's a heart that's surrendered to him. Believe in your heart, pistuo in your heart. But if you'd like to know, hey, how do I do this? How do I put my trust in him? I'm going to lead in a prayer. And if you'd like to pray this prayer, I want to give you a chance to do so. And if you this morning would like to put your trust in God, I can guarantee you if you are surrendering your life to him, you will be saved and you will spend eternity with him and he will receive you and he will begin to live in you and help you to be the person he wants you to be and he can change your life. This morning, if you'd like to pray that prayer, I'm going to pray this prayer out loud and I want you to pray it quietly. Now listen, don't you play games with God. Don't do the, yeah, I think I'll try that. You do not try Jesus. You surrender your life to Jesus. You say, God, I have no other option. There's nothing else out there for me. I don't know what else to do but to say, here, God, would you take me? I know you are my only hope, and I give my life to you. And if today you would like to do that, I want to give you a chance to pray this prayer. I'm going to pray it out loud. You pray it quietly in your heart. God reads hearts perfectly. He knows exactly what every one of us is thinking at the same time. He knows what's going on and whether you mean it or not. So if you'd like to pray this prayer, you pray it right now, quietly in your heart, as I pray it out loud. Let's pray together. God, I've been listening to what Bay's been saying, and I think that's for me. I've known about you, but I really sense you tugging on my heart today, saying, you need to give your life to me. You need to put all of your confidence, all of your trust in me. And God, I want you to know right now that I want to do that. Father God, I thank you that you love me enough to send your son. You gave your son up for death on a cross for me. Oh, God, thank you for doing that. And Jesus, as the Son of God, thank you that you volunteered and you were willing to do that. And you came down and you paid a terrible price on a cross, giving up your blood, shedding your blood for me. Jesus, I'm sorry. It's because of all my sin, all the junk in my life, all the bad things I've done through my life that you had to pay that price on a cross. But I thank you, Jesus, for loving me that much. And I ask you to forgive me for all of that sin. I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry for the way I've lived my life. I want to live for you. I give you my life. And Jesus, right now, I want you to know I'm asking, I'm I'm opening up the door of my heart, and I'm asking you to come and live inside of me through your spirit. Holy Spirit, would you come and take up residence in me? I want you to run my life. I don't just want you a part of my life. I want you to control my life. And I want to get off the driver's seat put you on the throne, and I want to just listen and follow instructions. You tell me what you want, just like Bay with that master skydiver. I'm listening, and I'll try to be obedient to you with your help. Jesus, thank you for loving me that much. You promised you'd come in if I'd ask you to, and I am. Right now, I'm asking, please, God, please save me. I need a Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Now, would you help me live for you? Because I can't even live for you unless you do it. Unless you do that, I can't be who you want me to be. So give me the strength and the power to trust you. God, help me to get plugged into a church that will help me to grow and to be who you want me to be. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Father God. Thank you. What a great Father's Day that I could give my life to you, my daddy, and know that you are my daddy. And I pray these things. In Jesus' name. I want you to keep your heads bowed. Listen, we're done. But I want you to listen very carefully. Listen to what it says in Matthew 10, 32 and 33. It says, whoever acknowledges, and this is Jesus speaking again, he says, whoever acknowledges me before men, him will I acknowledge before the Father. In other words, Jesus said, if you're not ashamed of me and will acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge you before the Father. I'll stand up and speak up for you someday before the Father on Judgment Day. But then as well, he goes on and he says, but whoever denies me before men, him will I deny before the Father. I want to give you a chance this morning. I want you to listen very carefully right now. Listen, all I'm going to ask, I want to pray for you. If you prayed that prayer today, and you would say, Bay, I did, I prayed that prayer, I meant that prayer, I gave my life to Jesus. I don't care if you're an elder in this church, a Sunday school teacher in this church, been in the church for a long time, or never been to this church before, and not a member of any church. If you prayed that prayer, and you gave your life to Christ, and you'd say, I now know I've surrendered my life to Jesus. I want to give you a chance to acknowledge him and let me just pray for you. I'm not gonna ask you, I'm not asking you to be embarrassed by coming forward or anything else. There will be times where you should do so. You're gonna need to find a place where you can go and get baptized. This would be a great church to get plugged into. They'd be thrilled to have you here, but we're not trying to pull you in here necessarily at all. We want you to know Jesus. But if this morning you prayed that prayer and you'd say, Bay, I want to acknowledge him, would you pray for me? And you're not ashamed and you're ready to start stepping up, and especially dads. You want a great Father's Day? You want to be the kind of father you ought to be? Then we need dads that will step up and live for Jesus and show their family that he, Jesus, is number one in your life. And if that's true, and if you prayed that prayer, from the youngest to the oldest that prayed that prayer, I just want you to slip your hand up right now so I can pray for you. Can I see your hands right now all over the auditorium here. I'm seeing hands. Yeah. Up in the, in the balcony as well, I do. Yes, I see hands. Just keep it up for a second. I'm going to pray for you. And I just want you to keep your hand up just as you're acknowledging Jesus. There must be 20, 30 people in here that have their hands up. Would you just keep your hand up, and I want to pray for you right now. Father God, you see these, and even now, if somebody says, no, I want to do that too, and if somebody else is lifting their hand even now, God, you see their hand. You know their heart. You know whether they mean this or not. And God, I pray right now for each person in here that has their hand up look God you see their hand they're saying I'm acknowledging you Jesus I want to start acknowledging you I pray God for each person here that meant that prayer would you just right now slip your arms around them and just give them a big old hug a big daddy hug and just say, oh, I'm so proud of you. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for starting with me. And now, let's continue. And God, I pray that you'd help them to grow. I pray that you'd get them plugged in. God, this would be a great church for them to decide to come and start being a part of and to grow in. Or maybe they're already here and they just need to stay plugged in with this church and continue in that growth and that commitment with you. But God, I pray blessings on them. I pray it brings honor and glory to you. And I pray before this day is over, they'll find a pastor or a friend that knows you that they'd go to and say, hey, I just want you to know I prayed that prayer. I've given my life to Jesus. And God, I pray in the, in the future, they're going to be telling people, man, I prayed that prayer on Father's Day and it changed my life. It changed my life. I became a new person. That's what it tells us in 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new is come. I pray, God, that those that have lifted their hand, that they would become new creations in you. May they become alive in you. Bless them, God. And may you use them for your glory. We love you. And we pray these things all in the mighty name of Jesus. You can put your hands down now. Amen. Listen, I want to thank you. I, I went a little bit longer than what I uh, probably was even told to. Doesn't matter. I leave. and They can't do anything to me. I, as long, I do get to get on the plane, don't I? I want to go see. My wife is my biblical babe. I call her my biblical babe, and I want to get home to her. So as long as I get home to her, that's fine. But thank you for letting me be here with you. You guys were fantastic. Let's go enjoy some cars and some pulled pork and enjoy Jesus. Enjoy him. God bless you all.
0: In a moment, I'm going to pray and and. Uh Thank the Lord for the food that he's providing for us. But I just want to know, let you know that there's a number of ways you can connect with us, and we want you to know that. And um, a few of our pastors and people will hang around here after the service. If you want to talk to us about your relationship with Christ or the journey that you're just beginning with him or, or whatever you want to talk to us about, we'll be here. Um, we also want you to know there's a table with Bibles and information that's available out in the parking lot if you want to grab that and, um, and connect there. And, and uh, you could also right out right in front of you there's a little piece of paper that has a name address placed there for a phone number we'll connect with you we'll call you and we'll talk to you so there's all, all kinds of ways you can get in touch with us and uh, but we'd really love to talk to you today bay, bay will be out in the parking lot signing some cards and things like that so um, take advantage of an opportunity to talk to him as well so let me let me close in prayer our father it, it's been good to be here in this room this morning and We thank you for your presence with us. We thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ loved us so much that he gave his life for us and died for us, that we could have our sins forgiven and our relationship restored with God the Father for all of eternity. Thank you for those who've made a decision today, a choice today, to to follow follow after Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for the food that we're now going to enjoy. Uh, Thank you that you provide for us. You're a a bountiful God and a generous God, and you give, 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 and we thank you for that. We want to give you our lives, Lord, afresh today.